out. Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. What a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, we at, at Calvary, we've been in a series called Jesus Revealed. And the reason that we've been in this series is we, we've been talking about this, the, the season of Lent. Now, Lent uh, in a Catholic tradition is the 40 days coming up, leading up to this day, which culminates on this day of resurrection. And these 40 days, they were meant for something. Now, uh, in, in, more, in more Protestant backgrounds, we tend to we, we tend to just push the eject button on things that are, are connected sometimes to just tradition. But in its root, the season of Lent and the meaning behind it was really good. It was a time where the church would say, hey, we're going to do what Hebrews, Hebrews tells us to do. We're going to lay aside every sin and every weight that easily gets us off track, that keeps us from running our race. And for 40 days, we're going we're gonna to fast and we're going to say, God, give me a fresh revelation of Jesus that brings me into a place of, 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 of vitality in my relationship with you. And what we have been doing as a church is saying, God, give us fresh insight about who Jesus is so that we can live in the abundant life you promised us in John chapter 10. Well, today, I want to share a message completing this series called Jesus Revealed the Risen Savior. Jesus Revealed the Risen Savior. And we're going to read this, this story of the, of the day of the resurrection from Luke's perspective. Some of you may have heard the resurrection story before, speaking of the interaction that Jesus has with Mary at the tomb in those initial moments. But there is something very powerful that Jesus does on the, in the, very, on the very first day after the resurrection, the very first day that I believe will reveal his heart toward us today. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, it says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Boy, that's enough reason to shout right there. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words, and when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. And to all the others, and it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as, as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still speaking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now this is a powerful story of day one of the resurrection. Jesus has come up out of the grave and, and this glorious uh, earth something that would shape the course of the entire planet has taken place, the resurrection. However, the, the leaders that Jesus has chosen, they're scared, they're terrified. We find in other accounts they are actually hiding behind locked doors. And Jesus getting up on day one we find out what's most important to the risen Savior. We find out what's most important. And when we find out what's most important on day one of the resurrection, we find out what's still important to Jesus today. It's amazing to think if you were launching a worldwide organization that would go on and on, which now at this date has some 2.3 billion, uh, billion members to your organization, perhaps you would have planned day one a little differently than Christ. 
You come up out of the grave and immediately you would go to your 11 remaining CEOs because the one guy was a terrible CEO. He was actually the guy who was over the money. He sold out his savior, Judas, for 30 pieces of silver. And now he is no more. Wouldn't you think as now as the leader of this worldwide organization that you would immediately go to the 11 who are called to change the world? I mean, Peter, after all, in just a few days, I'm sure that Christ knew he would be standing before 3,000 noble people from all over the world delivering the first message of the gospel in power. I'm sure he knew that his plan for James, his disciple, would be he is going to lead the church in Jerusalem. He, he must have known that his plan for Mark is that he is going to leave Jerusalem and head south and plant a church that would, lead, would, would flourish unhindered for some 700 years. He must have known that John, the one who had taken in his own mother, was going to be quite an influence on the church, not only in Jerusalem, but all through Asia Minor. He must have known that. How important is it to get to these guys who are going to change the world? Not as important as these two guys, one named Cleopas and the other we don't know. We find out what's most important on day one after the resurrection. And I pray that the Lord would speak to your heart today about what's most important to him about you. The first thing we find out here in this story is that the, the risen Savior reaches us. The risen Savior reaches us. It says this in verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. Let me, have you, have you ever been surprised by somebody? I mean, startled, like you're kind of in your own world, thinking your own thing, and somebody comes up, and they are just suddenly there, and they start talking to you, and you kind of, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here they are, having experienced all that they had experienced in Jerusalem, and they are what? They're walking away from the very place that Jesus has an assignment, Jerusalem. They're walking away. Going to a village seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And they're walking and they're so distraught they don't even notice that Jesus shows up. Recently I was, I was in the office really late and I was praying and, 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 and doing some work really late. And um, you know... Everything is locked up. No one is here. It's completely quiet. It's just me and Jesus and the angels. And I'm in the office. And suddenly I hear this, this commotion. And I'm like, it's like all this fan and this sound is, it sounded like crashing and all of this stuff started happening. I, I come out of my office looking and I nearly shot our copier to death. I was startled by something I didn't expect. And today, I, I want you to understand something about Jesus. You may right now be in your own little world, thinking your own thoughts, your mind on other things. But Jesus comes to reach us. Reach us. And notice this. He comes and finds 
people who are walking away. Jesus had disciples to visit in Jerusalem, but first he comes to the ones who are headed away from God's purpose. This is day one. He goes and finds the ones who are walking away. You see, in Luke 15, he tells a a, a wonderful parable. It's actually three parables, all with the same revelation that that God pursues us. The first is is the parable of the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one gets away from the flock. And this this is what Jesus reveals about God's heart to reach us. He says, he leaves the 99 to go and find the one. And what can we surmise from that? It is that God pursues the wanderer. He pursues the wanderer. It's not one, it's not the person that, 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 that particularly wanted to leave the flock, but got distracted and wandered away. And here in Luke 15, he says, I am pursuing the wanderer. And if that's you here today, I've got good news. God is pursuing you. He's coming after you. Why? Because Jesus on day one of the resurrection says, I am doing what is necessary to go and find those who are walking away. In Luke 15, he continues to tell this story. It's wonderful about a woman who had 10 coins and one of them got misplaced. It was careless. And she realizes one of these valuable coins is misplaced and and he says, what what do they do? They put everything else on hold and they sweep the house until the coin is found and then they rejoice that the coin is found. And what does this reveal to us? It reveals to us that God pursues the overlooked. God pursues the overlooked, those who don't feel valued, those that don't feel like they have much to contribute, those who really don't know how valuable they are. They're the overlooked. They're the, they're the ones that think, well, you know what? You know, God's not really interested in me. And here I, I need to tell you today that the risen Savior has a lot to do in his grand plan of redeeming the world, but he finds himself on a dusty road going to find those who are walking away who just think themselves as overlooked and unvaluable. And if you're the one that has ever questioned your value before God, I say what I have said often. Listen, the Father bankrupted heaven to have a relationship with you. He gave his most prized gift, the gift of his only son, in order to reach us. And in Luke 15, he continues to tell a story which probably you've heard before called the prodigal son. I don't really like that title. We're really good at labeling people by their failures. We should label them by their success in God, who God makes them. I like to call this story the redeemed heir. It's a son who goes to his father and says, dad, I wish you were dead. What a terrible thing to say. He said, I wish you were dead so I could have your money because I know that, I, that, that money would bring me happiness. And the father says, fine. I'll give you the money. He takes it and he spends it on riotous living, partying and, with, uh, partying and living with prostitutes and ultimately wastes all of the money. Then finds himself married to the unclean. Not a woman, pigs. 
He's a Jew, and he's, he's feeding pigs. He was never supposed to touch them, never supposed to go near them, but he finds himself in this moment where he is dirty beyond what he could have ever thought himself to be, and it was in that moment that he came to his senses, and he said, even the servants in my father's house have more than this. I'll, I'll make my way back to my father's house. And he's prepared a speech. But in Luke 15, 20, God's final revelation of, of his pursuit of us, it says this of the son. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran and ran and ran to his sons and threw his arms around him and kissed him. What does this say? God not only pursues the wanderer, God not only pursues those who feel overlooked, God pursues the rebellious. The rebellious. I can tell from some of the looks on your face, some of you in here this morning have a drug problem. Somebody drug you to church. <laughs> they made you come. They bribed you with an 8x10 professional portrait. They bribed you. Perhaps they said, I'll buy lunch today if you'll come with me to church. You're not supposed to look at them, okay? I can see you. <laughs> but here's what you need to know. That when God comes to reach us, he doesn't just come for those who are wandering or those who are overlooked. He comes for the rebellious. He comes, I don't know if you were like me, but boy, that's where I found myself. I knew about God. I knew the truth of the gospel. I didn't know how powerful he was. I didn't know how near he wanted to be. But oh, I, I knew who he was, and I willingly walked away. I was in rebellion, and here's what I can testify of, that in my rebellion, the risen Savior did what was necessary to reach me. And my message to you today is he will do the same for you. The risen Savior, he reaches us. Why? Why does he do it? We should ask that question. It's because he really loves us. Even in our rebellion, he really loves us. Most of us know John 3.16, but do we know 1 John 3.16? Which says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is what he says. You might find yourself today walking away from the purposes of God. Walking away from the things of God in your personal life. I'm glad you're here at church, but I believe this is your Emmaus moment where the risen Savior says, yes, I've got big things I've got planned for the planet. But there's some that are walking away, and I'm going to do what is necessary to reach them. 
So the risen Savior reaches us. But then the risen Savior does something wonderful. He renews us. In Luke 25, uh, 24, 25, he begins by saying this. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to come to suffer these things and then enter in, 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 into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, what he did is Jesus corrected their thinking about who they thought he was. He renewed them by showing them who he was revealed to be in the scriptures. So he didn't only come to reach them. He says, listen, you've got some thoughts about me that as I'm walking with you, I want you to think about me rightly. One of the most famous verses in the Bible concerning being renewed by God is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Which basically means this, offer everything of who you are to God. And it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, which is a pressure from the outside. Don't conform to the culture of this world, the pattern of the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You see, what he is saying here is, he goes, in order for you to experience all the renewal, all the transformation, you must be renewed in the way you think about him. You can't just say, hey, uh, uh, I'm, uh, I, I serve the Jesus my grandma told me about. That's wonderful. But it may not be everything. By the way, if you are living for history channel Jesus, that one doesn't exist. By the way, don't take the advice of Wikipedia when you're trying to build your life on the solid rock of Jesus. You need to go back and say, I need Jesus to come and find me in my wandering state and begin to declare himself who he is through the scriptures to me. I really need to hear who you are. Perhaps today you've had some thoughts about Christ. Maybe you think, well, he's that, he's that one who is, who is willing to, uh, to, to save the good, but he's not willing to save us. He wouldn't do that for me. Maybe he'll, he'll do this for somebody else, but not me. I tell you what, you're thinking wrong thoughts about God. You're, you, I know some people have said this to me. You know, God's a little too busy to think about my little life down here on the earth. No, he's got big plans. He's handling big stuff. I want to tell you, you've got wrong thoughts about Jesus. And today, he's come alongside you, the risen Savior. He wants you to see him for who he really is. Jesus says, don't just listen to what some say. He wants to show you who he really is. Can I just share with you a few of the titles that, that have been given 
to Jesus by the Father in the Scriptures. Jesus is the Almighty. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Amen, the author of life, the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the bridegroom, the chief cornerstone. He's Christ. He's Deliverer. He is Emmanuel, God with us, faithful and true witness. He's the gate. He's the good, good shepherd, and he is God. He's the heir of all things. He's the high priest. He's the holy and righteous one. He's the holy one of Israel. He's the horn of salvation. He is the I am, the king of kings, the lamb of God, the last Adam, the light of the world, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lord of all. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He's the master. He's the mediator. He's the morning star. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the prince of peace. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the righteous one, the rock, the ruler, the savior, son of man, son of David, son of the most high God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the word made flesh. He's the indescribable gift of God, and he is alive forevermore. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And today, before his big plans, he says, I want you to get renewed in the way you're thinking about me. Don't think low thoughts about the Savior. Embrace the truth of who he is and who he has revealed himself to be. And what we learn from day one, and day one's really important. There's, a, there's actually this law in interpretation, in scriptural interpretation called the law of first mention. That means the things that you see that show up first in the Bible, they really matter. You should really pay attention to them. And here we find him on day one, reaching us, renewing us, but then... The real bullseye, the real target, is that he wants to restore us. He wants to restore us. What, to what? Restore us to intimate relationship with God. Notice what he does. When it seemed as if he would go on having other business to do, they said, would you please come into our house what you've said about Christ has stirred something in us. Would you, would you stop for a moment and come into our house? He said, sure. I'll stop. And in Luke 24, 30, he said, when he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Listen, just like he did at the Last Supper. Just like he did on that Passover night where he would institute what we still practice today, communion. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then what? Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. You see, Jesus not only wanted them to know about him, he wanted restored relationship. Restored relationship that comes from a revelation of who he is. You say, why would he need to restore that? Because sin, friends, listen to me, sin is the separator from God. It has been from the very beginning. From the garden story, sin separated us from a loving father. But oh, aren't you glad that even in Genesis, God declares the gospel. He says to Satan, he says, listen, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. He says there is victory coming through the seed of the only son of God. And so he comes to restore all things. He says, I don't want you to just know the story about me. I want you to have a restored relationship that I intended for you to have all the way back in the garden. Sin was the separator, but the cross, listen to me, burial and resurrection was the way of restoration. Now, sometimes we tell an incomplete gospel, the incomplete telling of the good news of the coming of Christ. We say, Jesus died to save us from our sins. Yes, that is true. That's like one-third of the story. Jesus died on the cross, and then he was buried. The burial, you can't skip over. The three days in the grave. Why did he spend three days in the grave? Here's my personal belief. Because he was taking the sins of all humanity who would place faith on him. He would take all of that sin, all of that brokenness, and carry it to where it belonged. He carried it to hell and left it there. And then on the third day, got up out of the grave, showing us that all who place faith in him can actually become a new creation filled with eternal life from God through faith in what he has done for us. You say three days? Yeah, I know. Man, we are a whole bunch of sinners. We've done a whole lot of wrong. If it takes three days for Jesus to finally offload it all. I want to tell you today that Jesus wants to restore you. Romans 5.10 gives us a proper perspective of this. It says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him Through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So he says, he says, we were we were we were reconciled through the blood, because there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But it's not just the forgiveness of sin. He wants to give you eternal life. That's why the resurrection is so important. It's not something that you experience on the other side of death. It's something you receive now when you are reconciled and put back into right relationship to God. You can live in eternal life right now. 
The fullness of this message is declared in 2 Corinthians 5. And it's the truth of what happens when the risen Savior restores us. Years ago in Lakeland, there was a story of a son who went off to the Vietnam War. Before he went, I drove past this little garage forever. He parked his Corvette in this little garage. And the Corvette pulled in, and the son went off to fight in the war and never came home. And his parents couldn't bear the thought of selling the vehicle. Here it is, just sitting there, year after year, wasting away. It's value there. People would stop from time to time just saying, hey, uh, would you be interested in selling this? I'd like to do that. They said, no, I don't think that we could do that. And it was literally almost 40 years, almost 40 years, and finally, Those parents said, you know, perhaps the greatest way to honor his life would be to see the restoration of what he valued the most. And they would would take that Corvette and tow it away. And it's a great story of how that Corvette was restored to its original intent. How it looked from the very beginning. And I want to tell you, some of us have been parked in that garage and there are things that have died and there are things that are wasting away and things that we think, oh man, I I could never see that restored. I don't know how that could ever happen in my life. I want to tell you, this is what the risen Savior does. He restores us. He finds us in our brokenness. He sees a value in us and says, I'll bring you out of that place and restore you to original intent. And the way 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let me say it another way. Let the risen Savior restore you. Let the full power of his shed blood and the work of his burial and resurrection come and restore all that Satan has stolen, all that this world and circumstance has robbed you of. Let the creator of all things place his hand on your life, give you a grace you could never earn, a mercy, a mercy which is unyielding and new every morning. Let it fall upon your 
life and let the hand of God restore you to the man, to the woman that he has called you to be. This is what the risen Savior does. This is what he does. Before he gets to the 11, he goes and finds the wanderers. He goes and finds the overlooked. He goes and finds the rebellious. Those who are walking away from his purposes. And I love it. When they get restored, what do they do? They run back to Jerusalem. Now, I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd. And so I, I, I kind of I notice things. Like, I'm not real sure why this story is in the Bible, God. Like, I, I get that you're appearing to them, but, I mean, we get one of their names. We don't even have both of their names. What's the deal? On day one? I mean, you could do this three, day three, five. You could appear anywhere. Why day one? Well, in my research about this little village, I actually found that just a few years ago, there was quite a discovery made. About seven miles outside of Jerusalem, there was this forty fortified city, lots of walls. It was famous for one thing. It was the place the Ark of the Covenant sat for over 20 years in David's tabernacle. The place where the Ark of God, the presence of God, would rest it was the place where there were no veils. David's tabernacle wasn't like the temple, or it, and it wasn't like Moses' uh, tabernacle in all of its originality. It was really just a tent, and the only veil was human flesh. If you were to see David's tabernacle, you would see the glow of the presence of God resting on the Ark of the Covenant. And 24 hours a day for over 20 years, there would be those who were singing and playing and worshiping around the presence of God. Do you know where it sat? In a place called Emmaus. And on day one, Jesus, the son of David... Goes to the place where the presence of God was resting. And then, what did David do? David took the ark and he brought it back to Jerusalem. He goes to this same location and he, he reveals himself to people there. And what do those people who were walking away do? They run back to Jerusalem. And they go and tell he's really risen. He really has appeared. And then Jesus walks into the room and says, peace be with you. I believe this is telling the story to all of us. That God wants his presence in the right place. In the temple, which is you. He wants it to be there. And the links he will go to do it is saying, I'll reach you right where you are. I'll renew you in the way you think about me. And I'll restore you where you think you are so broken, you have no idea the power of his blood and the liberty that is found in his spirit. This is our risen Savior.